from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, in the wake of uh, yet another, I guess, scandal is too broad and stark a term, a fuss. Let's just be old-fashioned and say a fuss about uh, Joe Biden's, former Vice President Joe Biden's, habits around women and men in terms of the touching and the smelling and the thing and the kissing and the thing. Um, I've been struggling with my own discomfort about something for a while. And I guess in this climate where uncomfortable people are, are welcome to express or encouraged to express their discomfort, publicly, perhaps for the first time. I'm going to take advantage right here, right now. And this is friends and acquaintances, not strangers so far, but I haven't run into Joe Biden yet. I'm uncomfortable when when saying hello or goodbye. Male friends of mine, male acquaintances of mine, kiss me on the friggin' lips. I'm, I'm, and I always feel mm, about saying something. You know, usually it, it, as as women often complain, it happens before you uh, even realize it. And uh, but I'm always left thinking, mm, mm, mm. and I, look, let me let me just say, I'm I'm one of those people who during the flu season doesn't kiss anybody on the lips. I don't care who I'll, I'll women will, you know, just not because I'm any, anything other than somebody they know, uh, and are, you know, giddy at holiday time will, will, um, try to plant one on me and I'll just move to, you know, slide so that they land on the cheek. And I'm used to that, but these guys, it's too quick. And I'm, I, I, I haven't developed that, that, uh, instinct yet, that reflex. So I'm just saying it here where almost nobody will hear it. Don't. Don't don't do that. It makes me uncomfortable. Okay? Wow. I feel so relieved. I got to say hello. Welcome to the show. Vinha cantando alegremente Quem? Quando o marreco sorridente pediu Marita também no samba No samba, no samba O canso Gostou da dupla e fez também Quem? 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 Olhou pro cisne e disse assim Vem, vem Que o quarteto ficará bem Muito bom, muito bem Na beira da lagoa Foram ensaiar para começar O tico-tico no fubá a voz do pato era mesmo um desacato Jogo de cena com um canso era mato Mas eu gostei do final quando caíram na água Ensaiando o vocal Quen, 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 quen Quen, 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 quen Quen, 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 Vinha cantando alegremente Quen, quando o marreco sorridente pediu Para entrar também no samba, no samba, no samba Gostou da dupla e fez também 
Cantando alegremente, Quen, quando o marreco sorridente pediu para entrar também no samba, no samba, no samba, o canso gostou da dupla e fez também. Quen, Quen olhou pro Cid e disse assim: vem, vem, que o quarteto ficará bem, muito bom, muito bem. Na beira da lagoa foram ensaiar para começar o tico-tico no fubá. Era mesmo desacato Jogo de cena com um ganso era mato Mas gostei do final Quando caíram na água Ensaiando o vocal Recorded a couple days before you're hearing it, and originating in London, England, this is Le Show. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to it. Welcome. That was me welcoming you to it. And that was me pointing out that I was welcoming you to it. And we could fill time like that, but no, instead... Well, let's start off here in uh, England, in the house, in the house, where a British energy company, Centrica, has a thing called the Smart House. Their devices went missing in action this week. A major outage was confirmed across much of the, uh, the world of Centrica's Smart Hive. Users were forced 
to, oh no, tweak manual controls for heating, hot water, and surveillance cameras. How could they cope? Login problems began across the Hive Home website, dashboard, and mobile app. Hive Active Heating, Hive View, and other products. Only Hive Leak used to spot leaks around the home. <laughs> you'd, you'd hate to have to do that yourself. Look up. See, you know, water spots. Who, who can do that? Uh, Hive Leak was working, as intended. Engineers have been continuing to work on a fix for the issue, according to the Register, British Tech Journal. The uh, major outage on the high network, said one user, I've had to adjust my thermostat by hand, like some sort of troglodyte. Centrica was requested to comment. None so far. But meanwhile, meanwhile in the smart world, elsewhere in the smart world, Facebook has been um, getting a lot of criticism over discriminatory ads on its platform, particularly for housing, violating anti-housing discrimination laws in the United States. Now, a new paper suggests the problems with the platform could go deeper. This also from the Register. Facebook last month, as you may know, announced changes to its ad platform intended to prevent advertisers from deploying unfair credit, employment, and housing ads. This was after the Department of Housing and Urban Development in the United States sued Facebook for violating the Fair Housing Act. However, research just published suggests preventing advertisers from distributing discriminatory ads is only part of the challenge. Facebook also needs to examine the bias baked into its ad service infrastructure. Yes, they're serving you ads. It's a service. According to experts, well, Researchers from Northeastern University, USC. Hey, still working, huh? And uh, a tech accountability nonprofit uh, company called Upturn. Facebook's ad delivery system itself can steer ads intended to be inclusive towards discrimination, even when there's no explicit intent. The co-authors find that advertiser budgets and ad content affect to whom ads are delivered by Facebook, skewing it along gender and racial lines, even when neutral ad targeting settings are used. The researchers found Facebook ads tend to be shown to men because women tend to click on ads more often, making them more expensive to reach through Facebook system. That uh, divide becomes apparent when ad budgets are compared because the ad budget affects ad distribution as well. The higher the daily budget, the smaller the fraction of men in the audience. The power of images in ad content also has a strong effect on whether ads get shown to men or women, even when the bidding strategy is the same and gender agnostic targeting is used. Images had a surprisingly large effect on ad delivery. Ad URL destination has some effect, an ad pointing to a bodybuilding site and an ad pointing to a cosmetic site differed by gender in terms of the distribution. That might seem sensible, but once the researchers added an image to the ad, the bodybuilding site ad reached an audience that was 75% male. You'd think that women might look like to look at bodybuilding men, but you, but you, Facebook says that you would be wrong. According to the researchers, their tests suggest that Facebook has an automated image classification mechanism in place that is used to steer different ads towards different subsets 
of the user population. Facebook uses male, female, or unknown as valid gender values. <laughs> In terms of credit, employment, and housing ads, the problem with the system is it discriminates where it shouldn't. Five ads for lumber industry jobs. They were delivered to an audience that was more than 90% men and more than 70% white. Five ads for janitorial work were delivered to an audience that was more than 65% women and 75% black. Housing ads also showed a racial skew. These ads showed the same bidding strategy and neutral audience targeting parameters, and they all ran at the same time. The only difference was the destination link and the content of the ad itself. How smart a world do you want? Because it's, it's going to get smarter, and by smarter I mean nicer. And now... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Dayline Los Angeles, describing Los Angeles streets and sidewalks as being in such disrepair, they may not be ready to handle the expected influx of half a million visitors for the 2028 Olympics. The City Council of Los Angeles this week requested a report on how to pay for improvements. They'll pay for themselves, won't they? Isn't that the Olympic thing? Now, nearly 40% of the city's streets have a D or F rating. Wow. (laughs) Who knew? Well, I guess our suspension's new. More than 8,700 lane miles are in need of rehabilitation. I know how they feel. And the city only recently passed a $1.4 billion plan to fix its broken sidewalks over the next three decades. The uh, motion at the council, approved unanimously, 13 to nothing, instructs city staff to report back with various options to advance funding of street and sidewalk repairs and improvements ahead of the 2028 Olympics. It says improvements to the city streets will cost millions of dollars that the city does not have. And the city, meanwhile, continues to pay out millions in lawsuit settlements from people injured by poor streets and sidewalks. But it'll all get better when they have the Olympics because it's a movement and we all need one every day. And now, news of the war, won't you? It won an award once, long time ago. Those were the day. Let's uh, go first to Bangladesh. We won't have to stay long. While monsoon rains frequently cause flooding there, the problem has been exacerbated, not exasperated, by climate change, which is now affecting the country's social development. 
Environmental disasters linked to climate change are threatening the lives and futures of over 19 million children in Bangladesh, including prompting many families to push their daughters into child marriages, according to UNICEF. They say that like like it's a bad thing. Climate change is deepening the environmental threat faced by families in Bangladesh's poorest communities, leaving them unable to keep their children properly housed, fed, healthy, and educated, the UN Children's Agency said. In Bangladesh and around the world, climate change has the potential to reverse many of the gains that countries have achieved in child survival and development. The report says climate change is a key factor pushing poorer Bangladeshis to head to the capital, Dhaka, and other major cities where children risk being pushed into dangerous forms of labor or early marriage. It cites research showing Bangladesh has 6 million climate migrants already, a number that could more than double by 2050. Nah, that's not going to happen. But wait, there's more. Canada... Yes, Canada is warming on average at a rate twice as fast as the rest of the world. Canada's number one, ladies and gentlemen. Think of it. This is according to a new scientific report. The Canadian federal government climate report also warns that changes are already evident in many parts of the country. Fewer people saying A and are projected to intensify. Canada's Arctic has seen the deepest impact and will continue to warm at more than double the global rate. The report suggests many of the effects already seen are probably irreversible. We're going to be hearing that word a lot more often. Irreversible. Canada's average temperature annually has warmed by an estimated 3 degrees Fahrenheit since 1948, when nationwide temperatures were first recorded in Canada. Eh, Late bloomer. The largest temperature increases have been seen in the north, the prairies, and in northern British Columbia. Go south, Canadians! Annual average temperature in northern Canada increased by approximately 2.3 degrees Celsius. That's like nearly 4 degrees or more Fahrenheit. While both human activities and natural variations in the climate have contributed to the observed warming in Canada, the human factor is dominant, according to the Canadian federal government report. It is likely that more than half of the observed warming in Canada is due to the influence of human activities. All right, we rule. The report came as the government imposed carbon taxes on four of Canada's ten provinces. They have ten now? For failing to introduce their own plans for tackling climate change. Higher temperatures could mean more heat waves and a higher risk of wildfires and droughts in some parts of the country. Well, welcome to the club, Canada. (laughs) Sit right down. The effects of global warming on Canada's environment include more extreme weather. Weather. <laughs> weather. Oceans are expected to become more acidic and less oxygenated. I said oxygenated, which could harm marine life. Parts of Canada's Arctic are projected to have extensive ice-free periods during the summer within a few decades. So let's go drill. A rise in sea levels could also increase the risk of coastal flooding and more intense rainfall could cause problems with flooding in urban centers. Despite the bleak projections, the report notes the amount of warming could be limited if global action is taken by drastically reducing carbon emissions to near zero early in the second half of the century. That's the good news. 
Canadian government says it will meet the Paris target of cutting emissions to 30% below 2005 levels by 2030, despite the fact that a number of official reports indicate the country is unlikely to meet its reduction targets without significant effort. I think you can make a significant effort, Canada. I know we can't. Civil society appears to be at a tipping point on the issue, with public opinion moving in support of governments taking action in Canada. Yeah, that's how you can tell the difference, aside from the boot. Right there. Canada's environmental commissioner has come down hard on the government, though, for not doing enough to combat climate change. Julie Gelfand's spring report, her last contribution as environmental commissioner, as her term expires. She states both the liberals and the conservatives, well, I would cover it, haven't done enough to address the encroaching crisis. Quote, for decades, successive federal governments have failed to reach their targets for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. The government is not ready to adapt to changing climate. This must change, she said. This, uh, they audited four areas, including aquatic, evasive species, invasive species, protecting fish from mining effluent, bleh, and the Environment and Climate Change Canada and Finance Canada's assessments of fossil fuel subsidies. Yes, they're still subsidizing fossil fuels there. <laughs> Unlike us in the... Oh, sorry. The recurring findings throughout the four audits was that agencies weren't addressing climate change, and if they were, they weren't doing so in an adequate manner. And there you have how Canada is very much like the 48 below. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it's a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And let's follow news so bleak and so oblique, really, with the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. These will cheer you up. Of course, former President Joe Biden, you know by now, he joked twice about having permission to touch people on Friday during his first public appearance since several women alleged he made them uncomfortable in encounters over the years. This was at a uh, union conference. When asked directly if he would apologize on Friday, Biden said he wasn't sorry for his intentions. I'm sorry I didn't understand more, he said. I'm not sorry for any of my intentions. I'm not sorry for anything I've ever done. I've never been disrespectful intentionally to a man or a woman. That's not the reputation I've had since I was in high school, for God's sake. Ooh, but what a rascal in elementary school, I bet. A Texas county commissioner has apologized for criticizing a local judge who spoke in Spanish during a news conference. Commissioner Mark Tice faced a swift backlash for saying Judge Lena Hidalgo was a joke for not speaking English when answering questions. Judge Hidalgo had, in fact, been speaking and translating between both languages. Tice later said he regretted his words and apologized to the judge and Hispanic community. Judge Hidalgo is an elected official in the county in which Houston finds itself. 43% of the 4.5 million residents there are Hispanic or Latino. She's the first Latina and first woman to be elected as the county's top official. That is Harris County. The judge had been relaying updates about a chemical fire cleanup, answering reporters' questions in Spanish and English. At one point during the live stream on Facebook, when the judge was speaking in Spanish, Tice commented, She's a joke. English. This is not Mexico. He later reiterated the sentiment of the Houston Chronicle. It's real simple, he said. This is the United States. Speak English. 
He now regrets that. Mark Halperin returned from a two-year media exile to apologize for sexually harassing women. He weighed in on the uh, Joe Biden thing. The former TV and Bloomberg pundit was fired a couple years ago following accusations of sexual misconduct from multiple women during the time he worked at ABC. Since then, Halpern has not given a major interview, posted a tweet, or publicly opined on politics. But in a 25-minute-long interview on Sirius XM with Michael Smirkanish, he reiterated his apology to the woman he'd harassed, as well as to his colleagues and family. Quote, I know I've grown in my understanding of all this. I know I need to continue to grow. Ooh, sounds like an overactive pituitary to me. I wasn't a perfect person when I made these mistakes. I'm not a perfect person now. I'm happy to be judged by perfect people, he said. Mm. Snark apology there. Halpern explained in the years since his ouster, he's been working with the Fortune Society, a New York nonprofit that helps formerly incarcerated individuals acclimate to life outside of prison. He also said he's had hundreds of conversations with women who've been harassed to really understand why it's so painful to experience workplace harassment. The goal of these conversations is to try and reach a point where he could return to work and make his two-year-old son proud. I want him to grow up respecting me and seeing me as a fuller person than what happened to me 17 months ago, he said. Narcissism by parenthood? Boeing Company Chief Executive Dennis Muhlenberg this week apologized for the loss of two lives in the two recent 737 MAX crashes, promising a software fix in the coming weeks. It was apparent that in both flights an anti-stall feature known as MCAS activated in error. Pilots have told Boeing that erroneous activation can add to what is already a high-workload environment, Muhlenberg said. It's our responsibility, he added, to eliminate this risk. We own it, and we know how to do it. We just didn't... Oh, he didn't say that. This was the uh, addressing preliminary findings about last month's Ethiopia air crash. Boeing, he says, is taking a comprehensive, disciplined approach and taking the time to get the software update right. He added apologies to airlines and passengers for the jet's worldwide grounding. The uh, 737 MAX fleet has been grounded worldwide after the two fatal accidents less than five months apart. Boeing said last month its review of flight control systems on the 737 MAX had not revealed additional problems, you know, beside the one that caused two crashes within five months. That's that's all. Boxer Kash Ali made headlines recently when he bit opponent David Bryce, Price during their heavyweight fight last week. With roughly 30 seconds left in the fifth round, Ali tackled Price to the ground before delivering four Mike Tyson-like bites to his torso. Unsurprisingly, Ali was disqualified almost immediately, and Price was declared the winner of the fight. Ali subsequently had his license suspended by the British Boxing Board of Control. This all happened in England. I would like to apologize for my unacceptable behavior in my fight against David Price. I'm sorry to all boxing fans, to my team, my family, the British Boxing Board, David Price, his team, and his family, Ali said. I'm hugely embarrassed for my actions and the way the whole fight intended. He was pelted with drinks from spectators, as he was ushered out of the arena in Liverpool and will have a a hearing in front of the board. He faces a fine and possible ban. Just for biting? I mean, it's boxing. Oh, I see. Officials said the Richmond, Virginia police officer involved in a verbal interaction with a group of middle school students last week will be disciplined for an inappropriate comment and must undergo mandatory remedial training. 
First, he says, I apologize to the citizens of Richmond, to the families and to the children involved. No, that's uh, the interim police chief, not the cop involved. His actions, said the chief of the cop, do not reflect the values, training, or policies of the department. They completed an internal investigation of the officer. After a 25-second video clip recorded at the end of the last month, showed a group of students involved in a verbal interaction with the officer. The officer involved has served in various precincts, does not have a significant discipline history, only one complaint over his 15-year history. He expressed regret for his actions. He voluntarily requested to be given the opportunity to speak to and apologize to the parents. They do give you these facts, a totality of the person. The officer will be disciplined and will attend mandatory remedial training. Um, the uh, verbal interaction concluded with the officer saying to a bunch of uh, these middle school kids, just wait till your asses turn 18, then you're mine. Belgian Prime Minister Charles Michel, or sorry, Charles Michel, has apologized for the kidnapping of thousands of children born to mixed-race couples during colonial rule in Burundi, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and Rwanda, where, you know, Belgium was the colonial master. The Métis children, born to Belgian settlers and local women, were forcibly taken to Belgium and fostered by Catholic orders. Well, there's a gift. About 20,000 children are believed to have been affected. Most fathers, the Belgian fathers, refused to acknowledge the paternity of their children. They were taken to Belgium from 1959 until the independence of each of the colonies. Some of the children never received Belgian nationality and remained stateless. Speaking in the Belgian parliament, Michel said the country had breached the children's basic human rights, seeing them as a threat to the colonial system. It had, he said, stripped them of their identity, stigmatized them, and split up siblings. I vowed this solemn moment will represent a further step towards awareness and recognition of this part of our national history, he said. Many of the mixed-race children had gone on to help Belgium become a more open and tolerant society. He also expressed Belgian compassion for the African mothers, whose children were snatched from them. Two years ago, the Catholic Church apologized for its role in the scandal. That church has got to have an apology department by now. Fox News quickly issued an apology after a geography gaffe resulted in an on-air graphic correctly labeling three Central American countries as part of Mexico. We apologize for the error, said Ed Henry, co-host of... Fox and Friends. We apologize for the error. It should never have happened. I think most errors you could say that of. Really. Daylight War saw a priest in northern Poland who led a public burning of books that included titles from the Harry Potter series and other items parishioners wanted destroyed as apologized, saying the ritual was not intended to condemn specific authors, religions, or social groups. Just nasty books. The Reverend Rafal Jarosowitz called the burning of objects thought to be connected to magic and the occult and deemed by their owners to be an evil force, quote, unfortunate. He published the apology on a Facebook page of a foundation he founded. He and other priests have drawn criticism for burning, burning books, Buddhist figurines, an African mask, and other items outside a Catholic church in the city of Gdansk. And you're welcome. <laughs> a news anchor for East Tennessee CBS affiliate WVLT made an on-air apology this week after using an anti-Semitic slur during a live news segment. 
I want to take just a moment. A few minutes ago, I said something, a slip of the tongue inadvertently that was highly offensive to a few people out there, and it was something I should not have said. I want to apologize specifically to each of you and to everyone who heard what I said. It was something I did not mean to say at all. I apologize to you, and I'm deeply sorry for the comment I made earlier in the show. Unquote. The comment has been scrubbed from the television station's website and the news story that covered it. But says uh, Knoxville Jewish Alliance President Chip Raymond, it's been around for a long, long time. Just an old stereotype about Jews and money. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. From London, this is the show. And wh- what are you doing this uh, Friday? This coming Friday night, you could, you could be in Detroit. No, I'm not wishing you ill. You know, Detroit. Detroit's coming back, and Detroit is a thing now. But also, Detroit will be the site of a conversation moderated by Ben Stiller. A conversation between President Bill Clinton and former Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton. It's at the Fox Theater. Wow. I I performed at the Fox Theater. I opened for Manhattan Transfer on New Year's Eve. I I came off easy. I I did okay. I, I, you know, still living. Manhattan Transfer 
was on. I thought, you know, touring with them, that would be kind of safe, kind of uh, low-key. Midnight on New Year's Eve in Detroit, they're on stage doing an a cappella number. Maybe not the right choice, timing-wise, because that's when people started, people in the second balcony started firing off pistols. At the ceiling, but you know, old man gravity has has the last word. Anyway, that's not going to happen on April 12th. This is a -a one-of-a-kind conversation with the two leaders, so the publicity says, except it's a tour. So it's one of a kind in Detroit. The uh, the tour was um, put uh, out on the road. One writer referred to Bill, the Bill and Hillary tour that embarked in November as "quote the spinal tap of the political world." Boy, if I had a nickel, um, the reason they called it that is the ticket price had been slashed prior to the opening from $150 down to $7. Half-filled arenas were uh, a feature of the early leg of the tour, which went on hiatus following the death of President George H.W. Bush. Well, ain't that nice. The tour, as I say, resumes next week. And uh, one can only imagine what's going on in preparation. Oh, yes, it would be another episode of Clinton Something next here on the show. Clinton Something, the wilderness years. Okay, Hillary, let's mm-hmm. just take it again from uh, you finishing up the sequence from your book. And to go back to the question that is this book's title, what happened? Well, that's my best recollection. Of course, that leaves us with only one more question. Why? Bill? As in, why dredge all that up again? We agreed that line is out. <laughs> We, as in you. Folks, folks. Look, I distinctly remember we were at the Italian restaurant in Larchmont. Mm -hmm. This was right before Thanksgiving. Right. I told you that line made me feel... (sighs) I think the word you used was re-victimized. I have never used that word. Never, never, never would. Guys, this is great stuff, but... Oh, uh, oh, hold on, Kirby. uh, This is important. Okay. Either people are going to get to see authentic me as well as authentic Hillary, or they're not. Why start now? Way out of line, Toots. Okay, kids, I'm going to call a 10. I'll go get some coffee, and we'll pick this up when I get back. Good work. Not the first director we were scared off. We're two people sitting on chairs talking about ourselves. I still don't know why we even need a director. Because we're two people on chairs talking about ourselves. Somebody's got to bring something else to the table. Mm Mm-hmm. Frankly, I think Kirby brings nothing but attitude to the table. What attitude? He's not gay. Anything but. He seems to think that everything out of your mouth is gold, and everything I say is, I don't know, 
surplus verbiage or something. Hun, he's trying to help. We brought him in for a reason. If our ticket prices get any lower, we'll be paying people to attend. We got to spice this thing up. We are not inviting Jennifer Flowers to join us. Okay. Then what? Well, I still think my idea of a longer Q&A segment would do plenty of spicing up, especially this week. Mm-hmm. How so? You don't think anybody's going to ask you or me what we think about Joe Biden's... Physicality? I wouldn't doubt it for a minute. Well, I know what my answer would be. Uh-huh. I worked with Joe for years in the Obama administration, and he was nothing but a gentleman towards me. Maybe he's just not that into pantsuits. Nice. And your answer would be? <sighs> Joe and I both come from the generation that ignited the sexual revolution. And so why did only your behavior become revolting? <laughs> See, I spiced it up already. Uh-huh. You know what? I actually think you're onto something there. About your behavior? It's about, about time. Sho- about the show. All the really successful husband and wife deals, they've been about some sort of tension, some frisson between them. Mm-hmm. You know, Carville and Mary Madeline, mm-hmm. Sonny and Cher. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what we need. Great. Because I've been saving up. Anger? Oh, no. Just frisson. You're not going to go on another I cost you the election rant. You don't look Russian to me. Okay. I do think this beats hell out of me talking about what happened to the money in Haiti. Well, that's always good for a laugh, but (laughs) the follow-up questions are a bitch. Uh Uh-huh. So, what, we should just go out and bicker like every married couple we know? It seems almost cliche. And then whatever anyone can say about us, darling, Mm -hmm. we're not cliche. Ain't that the truth. (laughs) Okay, look, Kirby's on his way back in. I don't think we do this on our own. We need a professional's touch. How about this? He's a humor pro. He also can bring a certain expertise to material about the uh, the Biden thing. Not Matt Lauer. <laughs> no. Al Franken. Youthful angst and senior angst. Together, they add up to Clinton something. The Wilderness Years. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend, the Atom. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Save, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, save, too safe to meet. Did I mention yet today that nuclear power is being subsidized in the United States? The cost to subsidize central New York nuclear plants is increasing now by $57 million a year. That's disproving, at least for now, state regulators' predictions that the cost would decrease over time. Yeah, that happens. The good news is subsidies are increasing because electric prices are low. <laughs> That's the nutty way good news happens these days. This is according to Syracuse.com. As of this month, New York utility ratepayers are charged about $540 million a year, up from $480 million, to bolster the three nuclear reactors in Oswego County and one in Wayne County. Hello, Wayne. Hello, Wayne. The average residential customer now pays about 2 bucks 25 cents a month to subsidize the nukes up from $2 previously. 
The nuclear subsidy payments first implemented two years ago are scheduled to increase every two years unless market prices for electricity rise. That was uh, to guarantee the nuclear plants enough income to stay open for business. The subsidies make up any shortfall from what the plants could earn in the free market. When the 12-year deal was struck, Public Service Commission officials anticipated that rising wholesale prices would steadily reduce the amount of subsidy. They were so wrong. Upstate New York has enjoyed low electric prices in large part because of the low price of natural gas, which is used as fuel at many power plants. The four upstate nuclear reactors, they make 20% of all the power generated in New York State, are important to the state's effort to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, state officials say. If the owner, Ixalan, closed the plants, they would likely be replaced by natural gas burning facilities and they generate more carbon dioxide because you wouldn't want to have solar or wind in upstate New York. No, you wouldn't. A physics professor has captured the imagination of France's nuclear industry. Gerard Moreau, one of three winners of last year's Nobel Prize for Physics, now claims the lifespan of radioactive waste could potentially be cut to minutes from thousands of years. Isn't that wacky? Moreau, 74, is quick to say the laser option for nuclear waste that he and his partner are working on may be years away. Its promise has created a flurry of excitement in France. Sort of Jerry Lewis. It would be the Holy Grail, said Christian Chardonnay, head of infrastructure for major projects at the French Ministry of Research. Gerard is a gifted and very enthusiastic scientist. He didn't realize the hopes the words in his Nobel speech would create, but every possible way must be opened, and we stand ready to fund it if necessary. It's probably not necessary. France produces more nuclear waste per capita than any other country since 72% of its electricity comes from nuclear energy, the most in the world, it generates 2 kilograms of radioactive waste per person per year. Only a fraction of that is highly toxic. More than 60 years after getting into nuclear energy, the country still, of course, has a definitive way to cope with it. Except, no, they don't. But it's only been, you know, 60 years. State-controlled nuclear entities charged with nuclear waste management have spent billions on managing the toxic material. At least another $28 billion is set to be plowed into an underground maze of tunnels near the village of Bourg in northeastern France. It could be the final resting place for the highly toxic waste starting in 2025. Like other deep storage sites in place under construction are being considered in countries including the U.S., Japan, Finland, and Sweden, the Bur plan has drawn protests. Greenpeace has pointed to several risks, not the least of which being the chance of the toxic material seeping into the groundwater or a fire releasing radioactive gases. That never happens. So now comes Moreau with his high-intensity laser option. His work has paved the way for the shortest and most intense laser pulses ever created. In his Nobel lecture late last year, he laid out his vision for using his passion for extreme light to address the nuclear waste problem. We're still left with a lot of dangerous junk, he says. The idea is to transmute this nuclear waste into new forms of atoms 
which don't have the problem of radioactivity. What you have to do is change the makeup of the of the nucleus. Change their movie. I don't want to be around when they test that. I'm just saying. And the Ministry of Defense in the United Kingdom, right here, where I'm speaking from, has been criticized over its failure to dispose of 20 obsolete nuclear submarines. Nine of the vessels still contain nuclear fuel. You could set them. You could get them off 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 to uh, sail tomorrow. They don't sail, according to the government spending watchdog. Failing to get rid of them risks the UK's reputation as a responsible nuclear power, says the chairwoman of the Commons House of Commons Public Accounts Committee. The Ministry of Defense said it would dispose of them as soon as possible, practically possible, according to the National Audit Office. The department has not dismantled any of the submarines it has decommissioned since way back in 1980. In that time, the government has spent an estimated 500 million pounds, that's about $750 million, storing the retired vessels in Devon and Fife and Rosyth. The estimated cost of fully disposing of a nuclear submarine, 96 million pounds, about $110 million. Since 1980, the Ministry of Defense has spent half a billion pounds just to store and maintain its obsolete submarines while it works out how to safely dismantle them. The future liability for maintaining and disposing of the 20 decommissioned submarines, along with the 10 now in service, is uh, 7.5 billion pounds. No submarines have been defueled. Forget this decommission, just had the fuel removed since 2004. That's when regulators said waste disposal facilities did not meet the required standard, like for existence. The process is not set to begin again for four more years. Clean, cheap, safe, too delayed to meter. Our friend the atom. And now... He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He's at no stoops. He's an... Inspector General. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, guess who wasted at least $23 million by acquiring unneeded office space in Boston, New York, Washington, and several other cities? Amtrak. <laughs> like, they can afford to do that. That's according to a report by the railroad's Inspector General. He sketches a picture of a quasi-public, federally subsidized passenger railroad that lacks a game plan for um, acquiring office space for its workers. In its D.C. headquarters, Amtrak owns or rents three facilities other than Union Station, where the trains actually come in and out. It's moving ahead with plans to construct a building for its police force in a parking facility right next to the station. But the report says Amtrak has downsized its workforce and that many desks in its three Washington office buildings are unoccupied. Kind of a we-don't-work kind of a deal. If you get me. The report also says, you know, where anybody can come in and not do work, like a shared non-economy thing. The report also says Amtrak remain, uh, maintains 24 leased or Amtrak-owned buildings in 12 cities, in not only in the East Coast, but Chicago, Seattle, Los Angeles, and Oakland. Don't forget Oakland. In New York, the inspector general found scores of unoccupied desks in three buildings adjacent to Penn Station. Have you seen Penn Station lately? I don't occupy my desk. Amtrak agreed with each of the report's four recommendations, 
saying it would initiate actions to address each in a timely manner. Amtrak greatly appreciates the continued work of the Inspector General to assist us in ensuring we're good stewards of our real property, said the spokeswoman for Amtrak. We have already started putting processes in place to further strengthen strengthen our controls and are developing a long-term facility plan to ensure that decisions are consistent with the company's strategic goals. Unquote. Unless the goals are to have a lot of empty office space. According to the audit, in a call center based in Philadelphia, the vacancy rate will increase over the next few years as customers increasingly use the company's website and mobile applications and the need for live telephone agents decreases. Really? You think I don't really prefer to talk to a person, Mr. Amtrak, Inspector General? You think I'm really happy to go through the uh, the mobile robo-tree? All right, then. At two Amtrak facilities in Boston, one office was almost three times the specified standards. In another location, five workers occupied 3,300 square feet of office space. Amtrak, the report says, has this excess space in part because in the absence of a long-term facility plan, the company didn't allocate sufficient time to explore and coordinate alternatives. They suggest (laughs) making a plan. News of the Inspector's General, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this very edition of the show that you've been listening to. It's it's so close to gone, we can't even measure it. But good news and the bad news, there's another one just, just cooking up right now. Coming your way next week on the radio at the same time, on your other audio device of choice, when you choose. It's all about choice and choose. And it'd be just like Joe Biden walking up behind you, smelling your hair and kissing your head. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh-huh. The typical show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh and Jenny Lawson at WWN in New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this program your chance to get Cars Out Talk t-shirts in time for Easter. The bunny would love them. And the playlist of the music heard here on all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from London Town.